0: And so uh, we actually have some liberty here how we want to do this. But, but we think that there is a reality and a meaning here. Um, we see ordination in Scripture. The word, uh, we see the ordination of Aaron, you know, in the priesthood. In the Scriptures, we see this elaborate, specific ritual of the ordination of Aaron and his sons, uh, the first Hebrew priests. They were ritually washed. They were anointed with oil. They were dressed in elaborate, symbolic garments. And then they had the blood of the sacrifice touched to their right ear, to their right thumb, and to their right big toe, their right big toe. This was serious business. And every step of this carried a meaning. Every bit of it had a meaning. And the meanings we know pointed to Christ in different ways. Well, we aren't Hebrew priests, and we're not going to pretend to be. We all know that all Christians... All Christians are called to minister, right? All Christians are called to witness. So what are we doing? What does this ordination even mean? Well, the New, Ste- the New Testament scriptures are a little bit less specific about what ordination ought to look like. Not so, not so quite prescribed as the, the Aaronic ordination was. But we do see clear teaching that there are, there are offices and there are roles in the church Uh, recognize positions of authority and service. We see there must be a transition into these offices since no one is born into them. Ordination is the word we've given to this recognition, this transition. So basically, if we do recognize that there are roles and offices, then there are people who don't hold those roles. And so the transition is is the ordination that we speak of. When Paul was met on the road to Damascus, Jesus himself gave Paul his new orders Right? He stopped him, and he gave him his new orders, his new purpose, his new mission. This was Paul's salvation moment. In many ways, it was his ordination too. But then later we see something interesting. Before his first missionary journey, the church in Antioch itself ordained him. I'm using ordained in air quotes because they're teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is an example, not a command, but it is an example of a, an ordination of ascending. So what is this example? Fasting, laying on of hands with prayer and ascending. So that's what we intend to do. Now we... I haven't been fasting for very long. I haven't eaten since dinner last night. but (laughs) Um, So we're not going to strictly observe a fast here, but we are going to lay hands and pray, and we are going to send, right? That's what we intend to do. We intend to say a few words of encouragement and challenge to Zach, and then send him to the work that he's already been called to do. He will know then that he goes with the blessing and the support of this body. And Zach, I want to encourage you and bless you as you begin this work in an official way. We know that you were called by the leadership of your organization to do this because you were already seen doing it. What work? Lifting up those damaged by the pain of what they've seen. Zach works in a, a very difficult environment sometimes and they see very, very difficult things and they have to deal with that and process that. Zach's felt that, pain himself, and he has also helped others to, to process what they've seen. These, these uh, side effects, these, these downstream effects of the curse on this world, of pain and death and sickness, that's what Zach's been doing. But he also carries himself in the organization with integrity and consistency. And I'm not saying sure Zach has there, but true integrity... Sometimes showing weakness or difficulty because that leads to trust. People understand they can trust Zach because he doesn't appear to be perfect. And ultimately, pointing people to the only true source of peace, which is our Savior Jesus. That is the ultimate source of peace for us. We know that you're going to have many opportunities to do this in the coming years. And I pray that God will lead you Lead many to healing and salvation through your faithfulness. I pray that He will bless you to see this fruit with your own eyes. I challenge you to exercise the faith that's been given to you, to exercise the faith that's been given to you, to seek truth in God's Word, to seek God's presence in prayer, and to work out your salvation, as Paul said. Lastly, A position of ministry is a position which attracts attention. Sometimes good, or sometimes bad, but often good, actually. And I challenge you then to follow the example of John the Baptist. He knew he was the friend of the groom, and sought only to point people to Jesus, not to take advantage of the opportunity for his own reputation. The failure to understand this, is a great sickness in the American church. Pastors and ministers who have come to believe that their ministry is about them. Listen to what they do. They would flirt with Jesus' bride. They would try to steal her attention away from Jesus to themselves. Compare that to what John the Baptist did. And I challenge you to follow John. As you minister, as you point people to Christ... Celebrate Christ. Rejoice when someone turns their attention from you to Christ. They will love you and thank you for your faithfulness and to love her groom. As John the Baptist said in John 3, we always think of John 3 as the Nicodemus chapter, but there's a little bit more there, and it's rich. John said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, his joy, this joy of mine, is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. Blessing, Zach.
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, it is such a, uh, an honor, and just, I'm just so happy for today. Thank you, Brother Kevin and Brother Ken and family for being here. Um, a little bit about myself. I was born here in Tennessee in Knoxville, and I grew up in a good Christian home. My father was a military man, is a military man, and also a pastor as well. It's kind of a unique situation. He uh, got out of the military when I was young. And so we had the opportunity to live that life. And then he became a pastor and full-time, uh, in full-time ministry in a couple of different roles. And so I also got to grow up in that in that world as well and came to know Christ at a very young age. Um, but as as Paul says, working out your salvation with fear and trembling has been a really long process for me. Um, and just even as an adult, and once we, we came to Blackman, just... Striving and, and getting in his word more and learning more and more about Christ and growing closer to him has just been a very wonderful, wonderful thing for me. Um, thank you, Brother Ken, so much. That was just such a good challenge. I'm about to start crying. Weston, this is how you feel all the time, isn't it? LAUGHTER um, So very early on in uh, Katie and I's relationship, when we first started dating, I met, um, her aunt was a paramedic, a retired paramedic, and she kind of turned me on to that um, that interest. And um, I went to EMT school in in 2011, 2012, and started working for Rutherford County EMS here in in town, the 911 service here in town, and as an EMT, and just absolutely loved it. Went to paramedic school in in 2014, graduated in 2014 and started functioning as a paramedic. And I went to critical care school in 2016. And so now that's the role I'll fulfill on the ambulances is I work as a a critical care paramedic on the 911 ambulances. And uh, they tell you early on in EMS, there's a a five-year window. If you make it five years, you typically do it for the rest of your life, because the the burnout rate is so tragic. Many of my fellow coworkers, they, they just don't make it through three or four years. So they go on and do something. They may stay in the medical field, um, but they go on and, and do something else in a, in a less harsh environment. Um, and I kind of made it through that five years and, and felt wonderful. And um, had a, a, just a couple really busy years. We had made it through paramedic school. Many of you walked that fire with me. I know Weston and Mary definitely did. And uh, Jeremy and Crystal, when they were here, were some of our close friends, and we were just so busy and so hectic. We had small kids, and um, just never really took time for myself, never really took time to get in the Word deeply, and really just fell behind in my spiritual life and, and in my personal health as well. And um, in the end of 2018 and on into 2019, I really started to struggle with just a lot of depression depression and um, had to go and speak to my doctor about it because it was starting to affect just like my day-to-day life. I was having not only mental symptoms, but get, starting to get into physical symptoms as well where I had you know chest pain and nightmares and all this other stuff going on. And just, I didn't, didn't know how to deal with it. And so I kind of walked through that. Um, and looking, looking back on it, it was just such a blessing because I had not only at work, I'd been watching my patients go through that um, and that gave me much more empathy for them, but then now I see my coworkers doing the same thing, and it's so much quicker for me to recognize, hey, that's what this is, and then I can also I can look them in the eye and tell them, hey, I've, I've been there, and there's, there's a truth to that when you're in that moment. People can tell if you're lying to them or not, if you're just feeding them empty words or if you're saying, I've been there, and I, I feel what you're feeling, and so that's kind of where the calling started, and... Katie and I talked about it several times, but people just started coming to me at work, and we, just, we would just have all these good talks. Um, and one of the things I really started noticing is that many of my, my co- coworkers, they, just, they don't have the support that I do, and that's what got me through it, was I have, you know, a, now I have a closer walk with Christ, and I have a wonderful wife who helped me through a lot of this stuff. I have wonderful friends, and I have an amazing church body, and I would say probably 80, 90% of my coworkers don't have that luxury. Um, so I just, my wheels kind of started turning and I started thinking what could I do for my coworkers to help them out through, through this when they had times like I had. Um, and one of my friends on the fire department came and told me that they were looking for chaplains and that my name had come up and asked if I'd be interested. So I went and got uh, my Tennessee and my national certification for chaplaincy and got approved through my director to become the the EMS chaplain. Um, And so that's kind of the story of short version of how we got where we are. Um, And if you wonder, you know, how this will work on a day-to-day basis, I still work on the ambulances, so it's not like I've been put in an office somewhere off to the side and just get to do this all the time. This will be something I do on my own time. Um, But what I want to do is I just want to have that kind of that open door because it's a government job, so it's not. I can't proselytize my coworkers, right? I can't just stand up and preach to them while we're on the ambulance together. But it does give that open door. When someone comes to me, they know, hey, I'm the chaplain. So if they come to me and start talking to me, then it's an immediate. We can start. I can start talking to them about Christ. And I really want to evangelize my coworkers and show them that the best way to deal with this um, is to have to have God on your side and to have Him help you through it. Um, So that's kind of my my main goal is to just evangelize my coworkers, and then maybe secondary eventually down the road start working where we can start helping our patients out, because we we are such an immediate service, so you know, you have a medical problem, we come and we help you, we get you to the hospital, and that's usually the last you see of me, um, if things go well. So maybe one day down the road we can start doing more uh, follow-up stuff like that with our patients would kind of be a, a secondary goal I have. And... Ways that I could really use your help. I know it sounds cliche, but I really could use your prayer. I really need it. Um, Because while I'm trying to do this, I'm also still dealing with being a paramedic. So um, not to get into too many details, but it's just a a pretty rough world out there today. And you guys will be shocked the stuff that goes on down the street from me sometimes. Um, But me and my my coworkers are just exposed to a lot of different things. And uh, I would just ask that you pray specifically for them. And then pray that I will have the wisdom and the uh, just the endurance to deal and help them out. That's all I have.
2: But the challenge is also for you, and so we will be looking. Uh, through Psalm 42 today, and uh, I hope that your hearts already been blessed. I hope that you have already um, seen the need and uh, to lift Zach and his family and his coworkers up in prayer. And uh, I I trust that you are uh, excited as we are to see what the Lord's going to do through, continue to do through Zach and his ministry. It is uh, an awesome. Privilege and responsibility to be a part of this challenge to you, my brother Zach. Um, I, I will say, just uh, talking about process, we did meet with Zach and tested him in accordance with the scriptures as laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, th- that passage applies uh, specifically to uh, what is required of both deacons and ministers of the gospel. And in reference to deacons and ministers of the gospel, Paul tells Timothy, and I quote here, they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve, unquote. And so the ordination council that sat with Zach and tested him, we did test him and we voted unanimously to ordain him and to present him to you as a minister of the gospel. And so today's challenge service, Zach, is a further affirmation of the work of the Holy Spirit, what he's already done in your life what he's doing in your life, what we hope to see him continue doing. We want this service to be a great encouragement to you and your family. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I believe Paul's words there are just so appropriate. Verse 5, he says, now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Zach, I want to share with you today one of my favorite psalms with you. Um, as I prayed through what the Lord would have me challenge you with, uh, this, is, this is what the Lord laid on my heart. As a young man, when I was closer to your age, I found little, little rest or solace in the Psalms. Uh, to me, the book of Psalms is just like this vast desert. Now, you can look across this desert. I mean, it's got 150 chapters. I mean, I mean, it's big and you could look across this desert and i mean you could see the occasional mountain peak or you could see the occasional valley i mean there's the the mountain peak of psalm 1 just starts off just just an incredible psalm that a lot of people have memorized and then who can forget the valley the valley of the shadow of death in psalm 23 as we think about our good shepherd and then i was amazed at the prophecy of our crucified lord psalm 22 and As a sinner, I have often uh, been one with David and claimed the forgiveness that that he talks about in Psalm 51. But generally, the rest of the Psalms were like this vast landscape that was out there. I I might go sightseeing in it every now and then, but I didn't really recognize it. I didn't understand it. Um, And so it didn't really seem to resonate with me. But one day, uh, three or four years ago, uh, one of my boys casually handed me a map of the desert and the desert that I knew as Psalms. And he told me that down through the years, some believers read through all of the Psalms every month. So do the math. There, there are 150 Psalms in roughly 30 days in each month. And if you will read five Psalms every day, it's more manageable. It's more bite-sized. But if you'll read five Psalms every day, you can read through the entire Book of Psalms in a month. And so, he challenged me to do that, and I did do that. And I took that challenge, and by God's grace, I was able to accomplish that. And then, when I got done to the end of that month, I said, "You know, that landscape was worth walking." And let me let me do that again. And so, I did it the next month as well. And now, several years later. Um, that's part of my regular routine. I, I am reading five different Psalms every day. And you know, that vast desert is a lush oasis. And uh, I really want to direct you to one of my favorite oasis spots um, in Psalms. And it's Psalm 42. So I'm going to read this for you. Listen to the water imagery in the middle of this desert. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the joyous procession to the house of God with joyful And thankful shouts, why? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Brother Zach, do you thirst for God, the living God? The psalmist says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. The imagery in this psalm is very much centered on water. We see the thirsty deer. The psalmist compares himself to the thirsty deer in his desire to know God and to know him fully. Brother Zach, I believe you do thirst for our living God. What about you, my brothers and sisters? Do you thirst for God? Continuing the water imagery, we have the thirsty deer, and then the psalmist says, my meal is my tears, day and night. My tears have been my food, day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? Brother Zach, have you been asked, where is your God? I don't know specifically if you've been asked that, but I suspect that you have, and if you haven't, I suspect that you will. And my brothers and sisters, what about you? Have you been asked, where is your God? Now, as Christians, We are going to be asked this question, and we must be ready with an answer. Of course, the question is not about where is God, where is his location? Although it sounds like it, where is our God, or where is your God? The question is not really about where is God's location. We know that God is in heaven. The question is, where is our God when something goes horribly wrong down here on earth? That's the question. A terrible accident, a horrifying death, unspeakable suffering. And when these things happen, people want to know, where is your God? Now, the psalmist answers this. And he begins his answer to this important question by remembering. The psalmist remembers. He remembers when he went to church. (laughs) He remembers when he went to the house of God with other believers. He remembers better, joyful times But for most of Psalm 42, those better, joyful times are not front and center. Those better, joyful times have receded into the past. And the times that the psalmist is referring to now are extremely distressing. Listen to what he says in verse 5. And he also repeats this in the last verse of the psalm. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. And then that's verse 5. Then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, I am deeply depressed. Did you know that that was in the Bible? You know what Zach was talking about today about depression? That's real. The psalmist here is dejected. He's in turmoil. He's not just depressed, he's deeply depressed. And what follows? What does he say next? He says, Therefore, I remember. There it is again. I remember. Now the first time he says it, he talked about going to God's house and the support that I hope that we will always be for you, Zach, you and your family. The support that comes from being with other, other believers, fellow believers. But now in verse 6, the psalmist tells us that he remembers God. The Bible is so real. We have unanswered questions, souls in turmoil, deep depression, but the Bible is so helpful to us. Remember, remember God, place your faith in God, praise your God and Savior. Brother Zach, you may very well have times in your life when your soul is depressed, deeply depressed. Your soul may be in turmoil, deep turmoil. You can look at your fellow workers and say, I've been there. The psalmist can look at us and say, I've been there. When these times come, as they surely will for all of us, remember. Remember God. Place your faith in Him. Praise Him. Brother Zach, cling to these promises, and I believe that you do thirst for our Lord, our living Lord. And now I want to take you just briefly to Psalm 91, the the psalm I call the pandemic psalm. And I want you to hear these promises that the Lord makes to those who set their hearts on him. Because I believe that these promises apply to you and Katie and your precious children. Because, And I claim them as well. The Lord says, because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Father, I lift up Zach and Katie and their family. And I thank you, Lord, that you have entrusted uh, them to our stewardship here. At Blackman Baptist and I pray, Lord, that we will be faithful to lift them up in prayer. Lord, we look for much fruit from his ministry. I pray, Lord, that you would bless him as he shares the good news of the gospel with his fellow workers. I pray, Lord, that you will bless him as he shares the good news of the gospel with those who are in great turmoil and are deeply depressed. And Lord, we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask Zach and Katie if they'll come forward now. And, uh, and the whole family, too. Just every, everybody you got here. Who you got here? Oh, we, we, need, we need all the family. Come on up here. We'll put them here. Thank you. I also want to ask uh, any of the ordained men of the church who want to come um, and lay hands on Zach. We're going we're gonna to put them there, and we want the family to come in here, too. Yeah, you'll come, come right through. There you go, Asher. Big week for Asher. All right, come on in here, Dad. You've got to get in here. All right. Come on around. Let's lay hands on Zach and pray for him and his ministry. And Weston's going to start us off with a, um, a special b- prayer of blessing, and then uh, any other man who wants to pray, please pray.
3: Zach, as a brother and a peer, it's, a, uh, it's been a joy to watch you follow Jesus, to watch you love and cherish Katie, to watch you love and lead your family. Amen. I've um, gotten to watch your faith grow over the years, and it is very clear to me that God is at work in your life and in your heart. You look more like Jesus now than when we first met, and I hope that is a sincere encouragement to you to know that God began a good work in you and that he's going to carry it through to completion. Praying this blessing over you and over your family from Ephesians 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God.